our Father, we do stand in awe of you this evening. And yet in the midst of that awe of such a great, creative, powerful God, we also find ourselves loving you in such a way that that uh, seems that, that we have just been drawn into your presence like a, a father and a child, and we're comfortable being in the presence of one of such great power and one that we stand in such awe of. And so we thank you, Lord, that somehow you've made us feel comfortable in your presence as we do tonight. And truly, we do love you. We find ourselves now as we experience the cycles of life. We're in a new year with all of its challenges. And we live in the, in the cycles of life here on this campus, a fall semester, a winter semester, and a spring semester. And uh, this is uh, something that, that we look around us and realize that you've created the cycles of life, of, of the seasons, and, and all that is a part of the recreation of the, worlds that we, uh, the world that we live in. And now, Lord, uh, we know that in the cycles of life, often there is a need for renewal and revival and refreshing. And we pray that we might sense that tonight as we begin this new year. And that you would anoint our speaker this evening and that uh, she might sense the mighty touch of God upon her as she opens the word of God and as she lifts up Christ in this service this evening. Lord Jesus, we pray that in our classrooms we will sense uh, the presence of God and we'll, there will be a new understanding as why we're doing what we're doing. And there will be a new appreciation for the call of God that is upon our life and a new comfort such as we have of standing in the presence of such a great, powerful God. So, Lord, this service is yours, and we're your people, and we're thankful for the opportunities of this new year with all of its challenges. And we pray that as we walk through it, we'll be with a sense of confidence that we know that we're not alone, but every step we take that you will be walking along beside us, and uh, we will certainly need to walk along beside you and follow your leadership as we go through this year. May we be honored uh, by you in such a way that you will give us an opportunity on many occasions throughout this year to be able to share the good news of salvation to someone who has lost hope. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What a joy it is this evening for us to really almost began our year uh, with the speaker of the year or the sermon series uh, which is known as the T.W. Willingham Preacher of the Year series. I don't know whether I mentioned this to you last year but uh, uh, when uh, we opened this series but Jan and I had a chance to hear Dr. Gerard Reed as he was preaching at a revival over here at Eastboro Church and one night he was in the book of uh, 1 Corinthians and he came to 1 Corinthians 13 where he was talking about eloquence, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and talks about eloquence. Uh, and then he began to describe the most eloquent person he'd ever heard. He said, when I was a student at Bethany, the chapel service went well over an hour, and he said, I had totally lost track of time, and the preacher of the day was T.W. Willingham. It's T.W. Willingham that is honored in this series of messages. And we're thankful that his family and uh, Dr. Willingham himself wanted this series to take place. We're indeed honored to have someone who uh, was very close to Dr. Willingham, and I've asked her tonight and tomorrow morning to help us to know the man a little bit, because sometimes the donor and where we are today becomes a long way apart. And so I wanted her to 
and, and just a little bit of a, her time to introduce Dr. Willingham to us as she knew him. Dr. Gunter, as you see in your program, uh, has had a distinguished career. She's given almost 20 years now as the leader of Nazarene Missions International. And uh, this has been a, a, an important position in our church, and in no way is that organization the same as it was when she took charge. And uh, we raised considerable money because she is really the fundraiser of the church and the fact that she's able to share the mission and to motivate us to, to get behind the cause. In addition to that, uh, she has been a, a pastor's wife and also a preacher herself throughout her life and an ordained elder in the church. She's been honored uh, not only with the degrees that she's worked on herself, but also the degree that was given to her by Trevecca Nazarene University, the first woman to be honored in that way. I was privileged to be able to vote for her at the last General Assembly because I wanted her to be a general superintendent. There's no one that's come as close in, in the, the female rank as Dr. Gunter did. And uh, so uh, we, we really have a, a marvelous leader among us this evening. And Dr. Gunter, not only are we honored to meet you, but I think that it's a great honor for you to be able to see these men and women who are called of God. Uh, I'm proud of these students, and uh, they're so faithful to the call. And so, welcome to Nazarene Bible College. Thank you, Dr. Sanders. It certainly is a privilege to proclaim God's word in honor of T.W. Willingham, one of the greatest preachers and thinkers the Church of the Nazarene has ever known. He was a personal friend and a mentor to me and a tremendous help. I learned a lot from him about fundraising. I'm not going to take an offering so you can relax. <laughs> when my husband was district superintendent in South Carolina, and this was uh, in his beginning years back in the 70s, um, we had Dr. Willingham scheduled for our what was called preacher's meeting. We now call it, a lot of people, ministry team retreat. Dr. Willingham came for that, and one night the service was taking place. Trevecca, Nazarene University, had just elected a new president. Uh, he hadn't even hit the trail yet, but he came to our, first meet, our preacher's meeting, and this was the first meeting he'd been to at all. So my husband asked him to stand and talk to us about the financial crisis that Trevecca was facing. It was a very critical situation. So when Dr. Homer Adams finished speaking, Dr. Willingham stood and he looked at my husband and he said, boy, I don't know what you plan to give me for coming for this, to speak at this, but whatever it is, including the travel, I want you to make the check out to Trevecca Nazarene then college, Trevecca Nazarene College. Dr. Willingham was moved with compassion and with the spirit of God upon him. That spirit of obedience began to move across those ministers. In a few moments, one little home mission pastor stood. Everybody knew their, their financial level. He stood and he began to weep. He said, God just spoke to me. My wife and I just started a savings account. But God just spoke to me and said, give $1,000. And 
People began to commit all over the place. Every pastor was responding. The goal set for our district was seventy-something thousand dollars. When the year ended, we'd collected one hundred and forty-something thousand dollars. Dr. Willingham was the spark that God used to ignite that spirit of giving. He was strong on faith and obedience to God. Now I'll give you a little vignette in, in every service. Thank God for his blessings upon us. And I pray that in these hours that we're together, that God will truly make them a divine moment for each one of us. Turn in your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of according to St. Matthew in the fifth chapter. In a moment, we'll look at the 48th verse. Evangelist Sam Jones, an outstanding evangelist of the Methodist Church many years ago, was preaching in a crusade in Dallas, Texas. He asked the question, is there anybody here tonight who claims to be perfect? Would you please stand? He paused for a moment, looked around, nobody stood. He asked the next question, does anybody here know anyone or know of someone who claims to be perfect or somebody claims that they're perfect? Would you please stand? Way back in the back, a little lady stood. He said, yes. I said, who is it? He said, she said, my wife, my husband's first wife. <laughs> be perfect? Who, me? Jesus said, Matthew 5, 48, therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. What do you think when you read in the Bible? Noah was a just man, perfect. What do you think when you read in the Gospel of John, the 17th chapter, Jesus' high priestly prayer where he prayed, I in them and you in me, that you may be made perfect in one. What do you think? When you read the words of Paul to the Colossians, first chapter 28th verse, we preach Christ, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. And then the words of Jesus Christ himself to us, therefore be perfect. This sounds like a commandment that could not possibly have anything to do with you and me, but it does. These words of Jesus were not given to burden us with more legalism, but they were intended to push us resolutely toward grace. Christian perfection is very biblical did you know there is some form of the word perfect in more than 100 times in the Bible? John Wesley said, I wouldn't use it except that Paul used it and Jesus used it. It is in the Bible. But we need to decide at the very outset what kind of perfection is Jesus commanding you and me to obtain? when he says, you shall be perfect. To help our understanding, we look at the key word perfect, the Greek word teleos. The idea here, here is, is functional. That is very important for our understanding. In other words, a thing is perfect if it satisfies or fulfills the purpose for which it was made. 
Now hold on to that thought. That's, that's a key thought in this tonight. Therefore, when we talk about perfection, we're not talking about flawless performance. And aren't we glad? We're not talking about flawless judgment. We're not talking about flawless communication. But we're talking about a perfection of purpose. Thank God we can be made perfect in purpose. For we ask ourselves, what was the purpose for which God made us? I hold in my hand tonight a pen. This is a perfectly good pen. You know why it's a perfectly good pen? Because it does what its purpose is, to write. I would stop and write, it would perform that. Because it does what its purpose is. So we ask, what is our purpose? Why were we created? Did you know the Bible answers that question? God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. You and I were created to be like God. And we weren't created to be God. I've met a few people in my life who thought God made them to be the general manager of the universe. No, we weren't created to be God, but we were created to be like God. One of the greatest holiness texts in the Bible, Ephesians 4:24, The new man was created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. There's the purpose right there. To be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So then we ask, what's God like? The Bible answers that. For God is love. And the one thing that makes us like God is that we love as God loves. Love that never, never ceases to care for others. Love that looks for the saving quality in every individual. We enter upon Christian perfection when we love as he loves and we forgive as he forgives. John Wesley said, loving God with all of your heart and soul, mind and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself is the essence of holiness. Our church and our sister denominations are unequivocally committed to the biblical doctrine of holiness. Dr. J.B. Chapman, great leader in the yesteryears in our church, said he kept hearing so much about holiness that he got saved so he could get sanctified. Phoenix Brzee, the principal failed in the Church of the Nazarene, said, A sanctified life is a delight to Jesus, a joy to the soul, a benediction to the home, a power in the church, a terror to sin, and a continual disappointment to the devil. God, give us more sanctified people. Holiness is a distinguishing tenet of our doctrine. These terms of, of perfect love and Christian perfection and being filled with the Spirit and entire sanctification are all within our Wesleyan tradition. We're not generic. We're not a generic church. We aren't all things to all people. God's Word teaches that regeneration is experience or the work of God's grace preceded by repentance. It's obtained by faith. We all know that. This experience quickens us to a spiritual life of love and obedience. And we believe that following regeneration, there is another work or instant 
or experience of grace, entire sanctification, that act of God by which believers are made free from original sin. They're brought into a complete, entire commitment to God. This experience is wrought by the Holy Spirit. It is provided by the blood of Jesus Christ. It is received by faith. And to this experience, the Holy Spirit bears witness. I ask you tonight, do you know that you have been sanctified holy? Oh, how well I remember that experience, that instant. On a Sunday afternoon, a hot Sunday afternoon in June in the state of South Carolina, camp meeting, when I walked down the aisle, then it was sawdust, and I knelt there at that altar when the Holy Spirit revealed to me my need to be sanctified holy. And because I loved God and was in a relationship already with Him as a believer, as a born-again uh, saved person, I saw my need and I wanted to walk in the light and be obedient to Him. And that Sunday afternoon, the Holy Spirit sanctified me holy. God's grace continues to be at work in my life as this relationship in Christ deepens and I continue to be transformed more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. My deepest longing is that more believers experience what is found here in the teachings of our Lord and the writings of the Apostle Paul and elsewhere in the Holy Scriptures. Some of you will remember a popular television commercial some years ago that featured a little old lady looking at a hamburger. You remember that commercial? And with an expression of bewilderment on her face, she asked the server in this fast food restaurant, where's the beef? I think her predicament is somewhat analogous to the feelings of persons, hear me tonight, looking for the substance of holiness in our lives today. And they ask, where is the beef of holiness? That ingredient of Christian experience that John Wesley described as religion itself. Let me quickly pose three questions on this subject. What Christian perfection is not. What it is and how does a person obtain Christian perfection? First of all, what Christian perfection is not. It is not receiving the Holy Spirit. Hear me tonight. The, uh, Paul wrote to the Galatians, you began in the Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit is also at work in the experience of conversion. For Paul wrote to the Romans, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. We receive the Holy Spirit at conversion, but in sanctification we are baptized, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Claiming Jesus as Lord does not equal Christian perfection. For Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross every day and follow me. We commit in conversion to follow after the Lord Jesus Christ. That's when we settle the sin issue. Christian perfection is not claiming Jesus as Lord, but it is Jesus as Lord claiming you until he has all of you there is to have. What is Christian perfection? Remember that Greek word, teleos? It means bring to completion. It means fulfillment of purpose. 
In Colossians, Paul wrote, In Christ dwells all of the fullness of the Godhead, and you are complete. You are perfect in Him. It means you are filled full of Him. Now, something's going to happen in our lives when we are filled full of the Spirit, and Jesus, as Lord, claims us. Paul wrote about this in Galatians, the fifth chapter. There's the fruit of the Spirit. What will our lives look like? Let me highlight some of what Paul talks about. The 10th verse, Paul says, Have no other mind but the mind of Christ. In other words, live with one purpose, one aim, and that is to glorify and please God. Can you imagine what the whole Christian community and the impact we can make on the world for God if every one of us who claim to be in this kind of relationship with Christ and filled with His Holy Spirit would be of one mind, one spirit, one aim, one purpose. Paul writes on in the 13th verse, Do not use your liberty as an opportunity to the flesh, but through love serve one another. Seek to serve. Verse 15, Do not bind and devour one another. One version renders it like this, Don't chew up on each other. Oh, we disagree. By all means, if there are two people together, you're going to disagree sometime, if, unless one doesn't have a thought. We disagree, but we don't destroy. That's the difference in holiness. But walk in the Spirit, and you will not then fulfill the lust of the flesh. I am glad that God offers us deliverance from life in the flesh. We don't have to live in bondage to self. There's good news for us tonight. God can rescue you from yourself. Is that good news? God can rescue you from yourself. You ever got up in the morning and you couldn't stand yourself? You're just out of sorts with yourself, and when you're like that, you're out of sorts with everybody else. Self-help efforts only go so far, and sometimes they land us more deeply into ourselves. For any attempt that bypasses the cross does not resolve the problems in our hearts and in our lives. Holiness is the answer for personal wholesomeness. Holiness is an experience and a relationship with Christ to be enjoyed and to be celebrated. Look at what Paul talks about in verses 19, 20, and 21, this fifth chapter. What life in the flesh looks like. Contentions and jealousies and outbursts of anger and gossip and dissensions and envy and works of the flesh. And he says those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Self-centeredness destroys a person, a family, a church, any relationship. But there's the positive. When the Holy Spirit as Lord claims us, and we are filled full of Him. There is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You know what that says to me? Holiness makes Christianity beautiful. There is not one thing distasteful about biblical, scriptural, Christian holiness. It makes Christianity beautiful. 
What kind of perfection is Jesus talking about? Go back to 548, where Jesus said, Therefore, you shall be perfect. You have to pay attention to that word, therefore. Anytime you see the word, therefore, you always ask, what's it there for? It connects thoughts. For, uh, and you always, it always means as a result of and refer to what's previously been stated. What was Jesus stating? We won't take time to read all that, but it talks about loving your enemies and love those who despitefully use you. Love those who persecute you and turn the other cheek. In other words, no striking back and no threats. Perfect love is a purity of intentions. Uncle Bud Robinson, a great evangelist of the yesteryears, used to say, slap a sanctified person on the cheek and you get honey all over your hand. And then you get under such conviction, you go back and ask the sanctified person to pray for you. Talking about Christ-likeness, like Jesus, who did not strike back. I used to hear Dr. Willingham give his testimony about being sanctified holy. He said, these were his words. He said, I went to my funeral because T.W. Willingham died. Have you been to your funeral? Have you died? Oh, I remember going to my funeral that Sunday afternoon. St. Augustine testified, Augustine has died. A new owner has taken over. Has a new owner taken over in your life and you've died, died out to yourself and all that Satan would have to offer you. Elizabeth Dole gave her testimony at our prayer brunch in our general convention four years ago. She worded it like this, and then she told me this later in conversation. She said, I had that kind of experience, Nina, when I gave God my resignation and he accepted it. Oh, I love that. Give God your resignation. I'll tell you, he will accept it. Have you died to your carnal self? Till you can testify like Paul, I am crucified. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. Die. Die. And when you die, thank God there will be a resurrection. You'll become a different person. When he claims all there is of you, we cannot settle for just the changed life. We must go on to the exchanged life. Holiness is a death to self. It's not the death of self. You'll still have your same personality. If you're sanguine, you'll probably still be sanguine. And uh, if you're melancholy, you'll still be melancholy. But I'll tell you what will happen when you are surrendered to He claims you and He fills you, you will submit to how the Holy Spirit wants to modify your personality, your temperament, your disposition, your ways, until they become more and more like Jesus Christ. Until you can say, not my will, Lord, but your will. Not my way, but your way. Folks, this is what the Holy Spirit does. It's not our conscience working up to it. The Holy Spirit gives you peace. Across the years, I've seen so many people struggle at the altar to be sanctified as if they had to do it themselves. No. You surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives you peace. Thank God. The Holy Spirit gives you patience. 
The Holy Spirit helps you to be gentle and kind. The Holy Spirit helps you to have self-control. The Holy Spirit loves through you. That's why we call this experience a work of grace. It's not our doing. It's God's grace, God's power that is at work in us. The songwriter wrote, Marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilled, grace, grace, marvelous grace, grace that can pardon and cleanse within. Holiness is not only required by God, it is offered by God to every believer. And what God commands, thank God, He performs. Third and last, how do we obtain this experience? First of all, we must know that we're born again. Secondly, die to your carnal self. Have your own funeral. Third, give yourself totally to God in consecration, surrender. Four, receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit by faith. For the Word says, our hearts are purified by faith. And while there is the instant experience, the crisis experience, in which our hearts are purified by faith, and our consecration is complete, and this is so important. For years, I feel like we neglected the importance of this. There continues to be transformation and infillings. One baptism, many infillings. As we walk in the light, as we walk in love and obedience, developing a Christ-like character is continuous. I hope every one of us is more like Christ today than we were a year ago. And I hope a year from now we'll be more like Jesus than we are today. We submit, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, we submit to being transformed into His image. Friends, this is not a static relationship. We are constantly abiding in Him. There continues to be the gracious dialogue between the Spirit and us as God continues to create us into the image of God Himself. John Wesley said, God does not give us a stock or a supply of holiness. In other words, He doesn't supply us once and for all. We remain pure only as the Holy Spirit, moment by moment, continues to cleanse our heart and transforms us into the image of Jesus Christ. He keeps cleansing. The Holy Spirit keeps cleansing, keeps, keeps correcting. This means a sanctified person has a repentant spirit and, is, and an open mind to all that the Holy Spirit teaches. Adam Clark summarized the Wesleyan and New Testament idea of perfection like this. As God requires every person to love him with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and his neighbor as himself, then he is a perfect person who does so. He answers the end for which God made him. God perfects our past. We call that forgiveness. Aren't you glad your, your past has been made perfect? Think about it. God perfects our hearts. We call that cleansing, entire sanctification. God perfects our character. We call that growth and Christian maturity. 
And one day God will perfect our bodies. We call that glorification in death. I want to tell you, folks, God is in the perfecting business. In closing, I was on the Nazarene mission station in Barbados. I walked outside on that compound. I saw this lovely windmill. Its sails were moving out there, silhouetted against the beautiful Caribbean skies and the evergreen trees. I turned to the district superintendent and I said, how long has this windmill been here? And I'm sure it's a blessing as you have the big quarterly meetings here in Barbados and thousands of Nazarenes come onto this property. He kind of dropped his head and he said, no, the windmill is of no functional value to us anymore. The turning mechanism gave way from wear and corrosion. He said, oh, we talked about raising money and trying to get enough enthusiasm and ingenuity to, to, to restore it, but nobody responded, so we just keep the windmill. And every day it just goes through the motion out there, and there's no power that can produce water and have water for all of our meetings. And after our, he said that, it spoke to my heart. I related to it. I went and got my camera, and I took a picture of that windmill. And that has been probably 25 years ago now. I carry this picture in my Bible. It's been with me all around the world in about 70-something countries. And I confess to you tonight, there are times when I get on my knees, I feel like, oh, God, I need a stronger connection with the Holy Spirit from the corrosion and the weariness and the busyness and all the things you have to focus on. Oh, God, I need a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit so that I can have power with God and your Spirit can flow through me to help and bless somebody else. And all across the world, every time I've been on my knees and prayed, Oh, God, give me a fresh and fill in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is always faithful to come to where I am. Friends, what I experienced back there when I was 14 years old is not enough for what I need today. I need those times of fresh anointing. So I want to say to you tonight in closing, if you've never been sanctified holy, oh, tonight's the night for you, my friend. And if you have been sanctified holy, but you say, oh, I need a fresh anointing, a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit, this is what it's all about. That's the kind of business God's in.